Good morning. How are you? I didn't know you were here, Mary. Hi. Mary is our church secretary, Heidi's mother, but much more important than that, she's Mary Lee's and my friend from our church up in Wisconsin. Well, this morning we have the privilege of returning to Scripture, and this morning we're going to again be studying Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, so I'd ask you to open your Bibles there with me. This text is, if a seesaw has a center point that it goes to one side and the other on, this text could be called that center point where the Apostle Paul, having spent uh, four chapters making the case that we can't add anything to faith, we can't add anything to the righteousness of Christ, we can't depend on ourselves, we have to depend on Christ. Now he begins to open up what it means to depend on Christ. And this is not something that lacks content, that lacks definition, that lacks description, that lacks structure. Depending on Christ is something that's really specific. I think of David and Catherine as they build a home and the rest of us as we... Hi, Dan. I didn't know you were here either. My goodness, there's just all kinds of goodies today. Did I see Andy up playing bass? What it is. Hi. Hi, Rose. We love having you here. Okay, coming back. Um, as, you, as you think about the issue of um, faith, you know that it's not simply good enough to say, I have faith. And you know this because there's a chapter in the New Testament that tells us that you can't just blabber on about faith, right? It's a book that Martin Luther, in fighting against works, had a hard time loving, and he called it the Epistle of Straw. Later in his life, he came around. But it's the book of James. And you know that when we blabber on about having faith, that it absolutely means nothing until people begin to see the character of our faith. Right? We know this. James says, you talk about having faith, what good is it? You know, you're not justified by faith. And everybody has a fit because in Romans it says you're justified by faith, not by works. And in James it says you're justified by works, not by faith. And they think, well, couldn't they have gotten the canon right? Didn't they see that James shouldn't be in the canon, you know? Let's fix this thing, eh? Um, It has a short in it. and um, I wonder whether I should use, well, I'm going to have to... Anyhow, I don't know what it is, but it's got a short. Um, Anyhow, when we look at this text today, we're going to spend a number of weeks on it because this text is the text that takes us from this issue of we can't add to the work of Christ. We, We have to live by faith. We can't add circumcision, but circumcision is just a placeholder for all the things we'd try to add. Nobody's in danger today of adding circumcision, um, right? But we know we have a lot of things we'd like to add, all right? You can't add. Christ has done it. You have to be humble and cling to him. Now, I know, because I get pushback from you, and that's good, I know a lot of you are impatient with me spending time talking about Roman Catholicism. Well, I'm going to begin to tread on more sacred cows to you beginning this week. But listen, please trust me. 
If I choose to spend a lot of time on Roman Catholicism, this is because Roman Catholicism is a very live enticement to you and to me. I have told a number of you that about 12 years ago, I almost converted to Catholicism. Every time I went out and picketed at the abortion center, I saw a bunch of godly Roman Catholics there. And I kept thinking, what's going on that evangelicals aren't ever saying no to abortion, to the killing of children, and Catholics are everywhere. I began to read Catholic uh, documents and books and uh, publications, periodicals, and there was so much in it that was wise and godly. And I wasn't thinking about the doctrine of justification. I wasn't thinking about how we're saved. I was just thinking about morality and culture and politics. And boy, I'll tell you, the Roman Catholics have a wisdom there that is born of many, many centuries of hard work that we don't have. And we honor them for that. I honor them for that. But it doesn't necessarily follow that that means we convert to Catholicism. And it is a conversion. It's not simply a step from one part of a road to another part of a road. It is a conversion to a way of life which replaces part of the work of Christ with the work of man. And when I say this to you, you know, you don't like it because everybody wants to make common cause with Catholics. You don't like it because you're not a Catholic. You may not like it because you have relatives who are Catholics and you don't want to have to think about the threat to their soul that the church possesses. But nothing's changed since the Middle Ages. We don't have... Your, uh, okay. We don't have um, a new situation. The Council of Trent documents have never been reversed. Rome is still holding to the doctrine that we are not saved simply by faith. And even in this text where it says faith working through love, the Roman Catholics say that love is part of the work that justifies us. They turn this statement where faith works through love to faith and love work. Do you see that? It's not what the text says. Now, uh, this is a very important thing. And so... Trust me, week after week after week after week, if I hit Catholicism, it is because you need it. And part of the thing you do when you choose a church is you choose to submit to the curriculum that the pastor has for you, trusting that that curriculum has a wisdom that you don't know. And one of the reasons you don't know it is you don't know the other people in this church. You think you do. But like, for instance, this morning, how many of you have relatives and close friends who are Roman Catholic? Raise your hands. Now, turn around and look. Keep your hands up and look. Okay? How on earth are you going to be able to articulate to them why they must give themselves to Protestantism, to doctrinal Protestantism, if you don't know how they twist the book of Galatians? You go to them and you say to them, it's faith alone. And they say, yes, but faith is not by itself. And you say, well, yeah, I agree with that. And they say, well, faith and love together, because look, the text says faith working through love. And you don't have the, the, the awareness to say, wait, wait, wait. It's not faith and love working. It's faith working. Okay, you see the difference? It's not faith and love working. That's not what the text says. It says faith working through love, which is the agent. Is the agent love or is the agent faith? Now, this is a simple grammatical question. You know, which is it? Is it faith and love working or is it faith working through love? What is the active agent? Come on, answer the question. 
Faith is the active agent. It's clear grammatically, isn't it? Now, think about this. I keep telling you this. If we were in the process on April 15th of filling out our tax forms, you would have no hesitation in pouring over the exact language of the Internal Revenue Service Code in order to make sure you could get as many deductions as you could possibly take, right? Wouldn't you do this? Wouldn't you be very careful about grammar? Wouldn't you want to press it to the max without becoming dishonest? Okay? What am I establishing? I'm establishing the fact that you have no lack of discipline when it comes to saving yourself money. Okay? Now, if you're a bodybuilder, all right, Colin sits right under me every single Sunday. If you want a few more pectorals, right, you have no hesitation in applying yourself to intensive discipline in order to get more pectorals, right? You only have two? Okay, but... I know that. But the word more can indicate bigger. All right, bigger pectorals. I mean, but that, you know. Okay. So anyhow. You, okay, what? Well, you guys know what I'm talking about, you know. Okay. Now, I'm picking on them, but think of you. Where is it that you have discipline and that you're willing to be very specific about grammar, about the meaning of words, about the progression of words, huh? Where is it? There's no absence of it in any of your lives. And so don't get all flabby and lazy on me when we get to picking apart the Word of God and thinking that it matters for Roman Catholics. Okay? This is important. I can't tell you how many of my friends have converted to Roman Catholicism. The Roman Catholics talk about my seminary as being a place that since it used to be a Roman Catholic seminary and then became a Protestant seminary, God is humiliating the Protestants by having so many of our graduates become Roman Catholics. They write about this on the internet. Gordon Conwell, do a Google search for it. Okay? And it's not just those men. It's those men who, are, who they're leading as pastors who then convert. It's our children. It's our neighbors, it's our loved ones, it's our relatives. So trust me in the curriculum. There are going to be times where you're going to say, all right already, but I told you at the beginning of the book of Galatians that the Galatians certainly said that many times as they read this letter. All right already, all right already, all right already. And you think you're done with it. You haven't yet come to the place where he says, I wish they'd cut it all off. You know? Paul's intense. I'm intense. I want you to learn why the Roman Catholic Church is wrong. Not so you can be uncharitable, but so you can begin to be charitable. Who's ever heard of a battle where you go into the battle and fail to study your opponent? All right? It just doesn't happen. You don't begin to love your opponent until you study them. Give them the dignity of assuming that they're not dumb and they're going to try to get you in a sneaky way. All right? And so you have to prepare all right, okay, all right, okay, I'll chill out now. <laughs> I'm looking at my kids and I'm thinking, okay, back down, you know, just, all right. Now, here we come this morning, and I said you're on a seesaw and you have the pivot point, right? This is the pivot point, all right? And now we say, okay, faith alone, the righteousness of Christ alone, the Lamb of God alone, we must not add to the work of God. Okay, we can't do it. We just can't do it. We can't add the work of love. 
We can't add the work of ceremonies. We can't add anything to the work of Christ. We must love Jesus and his righteousness alone. That's it. Now, how do we love? I had somebody here uh, write an email uh, recently that I read, and the email was, well, what is the place of the law in the book of Galatians and in Paul's theology? In other words, as Paul studies Scripture and as Paul studies God, where does Paul see the law? Because clearly in the book of Galatians, the law has no place. And I'll just say to you simply, the law in Paul, the law in Galatians, is what gives definition to the love that faith works through. That's it. It's not a complicated thing, and that's one of our problems, is that Paul has been so abusive to the law, trying to separate us from our pride and, and our desire to cling to something on our own, right? That now, you know, having beat up on the law, we feel so insecure, and we feel like we can't, uh, you know, that we can't quite um, make our peace with the Apostle Paul in, in how he's dealt with the law. It just feels so wrong. And I say to you, listen, it had to be treated that summarily, that rigidly, that antagonistically, uh, that, with that hostility in order to get our grubby hands off of our pride and our desire to trust in ourselves. Well, now Paul's done that, and so now Paul gives us the law back, not to justify us, but as the fruit of a true and saving faith. Do you see that? Okay. And so we come to this pivot point, and I'm going to read just verses 5 and 6 this week. Galatians 5, verses 5 and 6. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Last week I was talking about the fact that um, when you have the absence of a loved one, say, for instance, uh, Annie this week and Jim being gone to the military, we would understand that if this was like the three-month absence they had earlier and you came into our living room on a Sunday afternoon when Annie was hanging out and she had in her lap a scrapbook or say the picture book from their wedding, all right, um, you'd understand what's going on there. The bridegroom is absent, and so the pictures are what we have, and Annie is looking at the pictures of her bridegroom. But all of a sudden, Jim walks in the room, and she, begins to, she continues to look at the picture book. It's insane, because she has the bridegroom. All right, well, this is what the Old Testament rituals, the Old Testament uh, types were. They were pointing forward to Christ, and so circumcision pointing forward to Christ, Christ comes, circumcision's done. We now have Christ. Now you say, but he's not here. I say, yeah, he is here. You say, well, I don't see him. You say, oh, well, go into the Roman Catholic Church and then you will. And if you get that, the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches give you back Christ visually. Do you understand? So you can actually see him. You say, well, it's not really him. It's just images of him. I say, thou shalt not, <laughs> thou shalt not 
All right. We are perpetually an idol making people. And if it isn't pictures and images of Christ, then it will be miters, those big staffs that have like brass and bronze and gold on them. Or it'll be like huge buildings with such beauty that you can look at the building and think of God instead of loving God spiritually. Anything that causes us to be weaned away from loving Jesus Christ through prayer, through his word, through the people of God that he surrounded us with, through our neighbors who have needs. Anything that seduces us away from that through pomp and circumstance is, is potentially and often becomes an idol. Okay? So when the Apostle Paul says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, as Calvin says, this is a synecdoche, which is a, a literary device that stands for a larger thing. Give us this day our daily bread. All right? That stands for everything we need in our lives. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. That stands for anything ceremonial, anything visible, anything that we would place in the place of Christ. Okay? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for means anything, but rather what? Faith working for love, through love. So love is the work that shows, that proves, that vindicates, and I'm choosing my words carefully, that justifies faith. <laughs> now, I chose to use the word justify because I want you to understand that the Bible often does use words in two different ways. And so in Romans, when it says that we're not justified by works, but by faith, and in James, where it says that we're justified by works and not faith alone, it's using the word in a different way. In Romans, it's using the word justify to indicate how we stand before a holy God without fear. But in James, it's using the word justify to indicate how we are proven, how faith is proven to be true. All right. So when we say we have faith, we're justified in that statement that we have faith by our works. We're not justified before God. We're justified that our statement that we have faith is a true statement. Now, think about how often in Scripture it talks about the fruit that faith will give issue to. Think what will always be for me the place that, that most comes into my mind when I think of this is John 15, because I had a, uh, a retired colonel from the army who taught me in sixth grade and made me memorize John 15. All right. He that abides in me, and my word abides in him, the same shall, what? Bring forth, what? Much fruit. So if we abide in Christ, and Christ and his word abide in us, we will do what? We will, what? We will bear much fruit. Now, wouldn't it be perverse if Colin could go out and could, uh, could lift weights and never see any change to his body. There'd be something wrong, wouldn't there? I mean, he wouldn't be eating. He wouldn't, who knows what the problem would be. He might be sick. But all through creation, all through nature, all through God's general revelation, we see proof of the principle that if we're abiding in the vine, we will what? We will bear fruit. Now, wouldn't it be twisted if all of a sudden we came into the spiritual realm, we came into the realm of heaven, and this principle had no application, and 
we never saw it in our spiritual lives, in our hearts, in our souls. We never saw it in the church. Wouldn't it be perverse if you went to school and you built precept upon precept, but you came into the family of God and there were no precepts? You know, wouldn't it be crazy if, you know, you were a vine dresser and you were raising grapes and when you planted them and, and, and cultivated them and, and fertilized them and, and watered them, they produced good, healthy, juicy grapes, but that when it came to prayer and the reading of Scripture and the fellowship of the body and the Lord's table and all the things He's given us to make us fruitful, we bore no fruit. It just wouldn't make any sense. And so what is fruit? Fruit is living according to the commandments of God. All right? Because faith works through love. Now, what is love? Well, we have an apostle of love, right? His name is? He was the one that the Lord loved particularly. What's his name? John. And you know what John says constantly? Constantly, constantly, constantly. Remember, he's the lover. Paul isn't the lover. Peter isn't the lover. It's John that's the lover. What does he say over and over and over and over and over again? What does he say? What does he say? He says, this is... This is... This is love for God. Do you know what it says? To obey His commandments. So now, how do we ask what place the law has in Paul's theology? I thought the Holy Spirit wrote Scripture. (laughs) All right. We don't have Paul against John. We don't have Jesus against the God of the Old Testament. All Scriptures God breathed, right? So we must believe that when Paul speaks and when Peter speaks and when John speaks, They're all saying the same thing in different ways, right? Because it's the Holy Spirit speaking. So if Galatians, Paul says faith working through love, and John says this is love for God to obey his commandments, it's all harmonious. Even though it might feel to you that it's dissonant, that it's like striving against each other, it's not, it's harmonious. Furthermore, the apostle of love, John, says that the man who says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. Okay? This is love for God to obey his commandments. The man who loves God, says he loves God, but hates his brother is a liar and the truth isn't in him. So here's, here's where we are. The Apostle Paul speaks the Holy Spirit's truth saying neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but rather faith working through love. The Holy Spirit speaking through John says, this is love for God to obey his commandments. The Apostle John says, the, God, the Apostle of love, the man who says he loves God but hates his brother, is a liar and the truth is not in him. So if love for God is to obey his commandments, then what is love for brother? The whole gospel is summed up in what? Loving Christ because he what? First loved us. All right. And what is love? Love is to obey his commandments. So, brothers and sisters, this is not difficult. If you want to know whether you have faith, look and see if that faith is working through love. 
And if you want to know what love is, look at the commandments and see if your life is showing them as fruit. Obedience to them is fruit. Now, if you don't see that you're loving God, and if you don't see that you're loving your brother, don't make the mistake of trying harder to love God and to love your brother. Because remember, it's faith that's working for love. What you lack is what? Love, yeah. But what you really lack is what? Somebody here said it. It's faith. That's what you lack. If you're bitter and you have a nasty attitude, a root of bitterness has grown in your heart, it's because you don't trust God. You don't trust that when he says, ask, seek, and knock, that he will be faithful to provide it. If you have... Uh, If you have a habit of stealing, it's because you don't trust God to provide for you as he provides for the lilies of the field. If you have a problem with lust, it's because you do not trust God who tells us that we are to be holy as he is holy and that he is faithful to his bride. And I could go on and on and on and illustrate the different sins that we give ourselves to and behind every single one of them is an absence of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We do not trust him. And so this is why we're going to dwell for quite some time on this text. Because what we're going to do is open it up and show what will our homes, what will our marriages, what will our dorm rooms, what will the lecture hall, what will the back room uh, of the shop, um, what will every aspect of our lives look like? What will this church and her meetings and her Sunday school classes and her small groups, what will they look like when faith is working through love? And every single time we study this, we'll be able to go back and say, okay, that's what it means to give up our own works and to do the work of Christ, which is to love one another and to love God. To love God and therefore to love one another. You know that love is big today in our culture. And you know this because of how often it's spoken of in songs. I've often uh, used the illustration that I think now it was 12 years ago, I read a statistic that Um, Of the database of new copyrighted songs, pop songs that year, something like 5,500 of those songs copyrighted that year had the word love in their title. All right. So love is really, really big. Um, But it's a completely ill-defined and sentimental and gooey and completely corrupt love. It's just not love. I mean, let's take this church, for instance. How loving on a scale of one to ten would you say we are as a church? We all know lots of songs about love. I could lead you in... A, huh? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, ten is the best. And one is the worst. And the question is, how loving are we? What was your rate of set? Ten, right? Nine, eight, seven, six. How would you rate your marriage? 
Huh? <laughs> I'm looking down, not looking at any of us. Um, how would you rate your roommates? Relationship with your roommates? How would you rate your children? The marriages of your children? How would you rate your relationship with your next door neighbors? How would you rate your relationship with your professors and your students? Now you say, oh, I think that they generally look at me and think that I'm, on all things considered, kind of a nice person. I say, no, I didn't ask you what the vibes were. I asked you to rate your relationships on the basis of love. And what is love? It's given real clear definition in Scripture. Start with love does not seek her own. Okay. It's time to end. We'll come back to this. And we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about our church. Because the Bible tells us that one of the principal means that we have to witness to unbelievers and to lead them to the Lord is when love permeates our relationship, when we're characterized as a church by love for one another. But remember this. We're at the pivot point in Galatians. The Apostle Paul has shown that hypocrites replace the work of Christ with their own works. Do you see this? And the principal work he was fighting against was what? Circumcision. Hypocrites try to replace the work of Christ with their own work because they don't want to depend on Christ. All right? We're at the pivot point. Now he also shows what? He shows that hypocrites try to speak of faith and love without giving any definition to it. That they try to be lawbreakers and claim that they love Christ and that they love one another. So think of the whole book of Galatians as showing two hypocrisies. The hypocrisy of legalism and the hypocrisy of antinomianism. And you say, what's antinomianism? Anti, you know what that is. And nomos is the Greek word for law. Anti-law. All right? And this is always the left, or yeah, yeah, hey, I did it right. The left and the right error that we make is we love God. We fall into legalism and antinomianism. And we're now, having given lots of time to hitting up on legalism. We're now going to hit up on antinomianism. You can't say no to Christ exclusively as your righteousness, and you can't say no to righteousness as your love for Christ. You just can't do it. This morning we have the privilege of celebrating together the baptism.